No, what else do you guys remember though from the last week or so? Sir? I remember from from both of the last weeks, you both touched on it, uh, kind of four major components of the story. Clayton mentioned them, but even beyond those one word, uh, beginning, conflict, resolution, end, um, you kind of frame those, both of you frame those in how did, the beginning is how did this all come about? The conflict is what went wrong? The resolution was how how does what went wrong get fixed? And the end is where is this all heading? So that was just to kind of expand out those things. You guys have both kind of touched on sure. being some critical questions that depending on how you answer those, it kind of drives the way that you live. And yeah, find no, absolutely. And then we, we ended last week, and this is where I want to set the table for today. Where where did we end last week? You guys remember? Is it God communicates with us in story, and then how we um, put him on display, how we make him seen? Yeah. Yes. yeah God we, is the main character. Yeah, that we, we, were talk, we started to talk through the biblical story and saying that God communicates to us in the context of a story, and those same elements of a story are true in the biblical story. So yeah, so that that God actually communicates in the same framework. In the beginning, right? What? How did things start? Creation. Creation. Fall. You know. Redemption. Jesus or redemption. And then new creation. And then, you guys remember that? Yeah. And then saying, all of us are living in a cultural story. You know, the story around us. And we're all being shaped and influenced by that. But we're also being called to live in light of the biblical story. Does that, does that sound vaguely familiar? Mm -hmm. Because that, that, that is where we were last week. Um, and so, I want to make sure we remember that, because that sets the table for where we're going to be tonight. And so, um, if we're thinking and remembering that part, we go, okay, uh, creation, um, uh, sin, uh, slash rebellion, uh, go with redemption, uh, Jesus, and then new creation. I don't really write so that you guys can understand those things because you're not going to be able to read anything I write anyways. And so, don't even look. It's just more for my sake. It makes it feel like I'm doing something. Um, in the beginning then, here's what we're going to do tonight. Um, we're going to try to drop this into some practicality because right now this is still living very much in an abstract, you know, kind of framework. Um, so let's try to drop it into a very... Uh, practical reality of things. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time tonight. I'm going to try to work through the biblical text relatively quickly, then we're going to pass it off to Josh, um, because he is more than just eye candy. You know, he actually is going to contribute tonight. And I know that some of you guys were wondering if he was just sitting up here just looking good. Uh, he sat down because he realized he was showing too much leg. So I guess so you guys know. Um, so, but when he does stand up here, make sure you notice his legs, because they're quite attractive, in fact. Um, but, nonetheless, um, for chickens. For chickens. We're going to walk through the biblical text in a very practical sense. Um, but let me ask you, because I want to be presumptuous, and so uh, I do want to ask, um, because we'll go where, where you guys really go, no, that this is what's practical. And, and so I'll suggest a topic, but only continue on if it's actually appropriate and relevant. Does that make sense? And if not, we'll circle back and, you know, visit another topic and go back. So I want to... I don't want to just talk about what I think is important. I actually want to land this in a framework that actually makes sense for your context here in North Hollywood. Does that kind of make sense to you guys? So um, what I was planning on doing tonight is talking through this issue of identity and where we find our identity. 
Is that an issue with the people you're rubbing shoulders with, neighbors, friends, co colleagues? You know what I mean? Yes. Is that even close to relevant? Yes. yes. Okay. So you, you guys would say, yeah, that's that's an okay thing to talk through. Yes. Okay. I guess again, I, I thought that would be appropriate, but I just didn't want to to guess too much. Um, so when we're talking through this idea of identity, uh, we've got to start in the beginning, and that's starting right here in this side. So if you guys have a Bible, grab your Bible. We're going to actually spend. I know last week we didn't spend a lot of time in the Bible. Tonight we're actually going to spend a fair bit. So. Um, and we're done 8.30? 45. Okay, perfect. Okay, grab your Bible, uh, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 26 through 28. Just take a look at it real quick. Um, Here's what I want you to do. Uh, at risk of sounding ridiculous um, and, and presuming upon you guys, um, actually read this with somebody or a couple people sitting around you and actually talk through this and go, what is this saying about our identity in the beginning? What was God's intention in the beginning with this idea of identity? Uh, what do you guys see here? 26 through 28. Just observations about this. Remember, we're talking through this idea of identity. And what, what I want to really think through is this. What was God's intention for creation in the beginning. What was God's intention? To make humanity in his own image. Okay. Yeah, this this image bearing. Okay, what else? That we would have dominion over basically everything on earth. Okay. Create more. Yeah, to rule over creation, right? And to create more image bearers, right? Um, yeah, I mean, and then depending how, how you want to break that down, there's an aspect of, um, yeah, filling the earth and subduing it. So it's not just simply filling it. I mean, it's not just uh, the procreative act, but it's also filling the earth with things, but then it's also ruling over creation. But as, here's the question I want to, I want to ask you guys. Um, how do these things, because he says, um, you know, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, right? That kind of makes sense to you guys? How do those acts, being fruitful, multiplying, filling the earth, subduing the earth, how do those things fulfill this? How do these things down here being fruitful, multiplying, how do they actually fulfill that image-bearing task? God says, uh, let us make human our image, so there's like a multi, there's like a multiplier effect in his character. Okay. Okay, so that, now watch this. You guys, you guys track there, what Clayton was saying? How is, this will sound weird, how is, if the goal for us is to put God on display, to be an image bearer, like we were talking last week, this idea of reflecting God to the world, that's what it means to be an image, to, 
to be an image bearer is to reflect. How do we reflect God or make God known in these things? And so now, this will sound weird, but how does the procreative act, how does procreation actually put God on display? It's a model of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit submitting to each other and working as one. Okay, you're going way into the theological side. I'm just thinking real simple. It's a way that we can create. Okay, yeah, I'm going, <laughs> is God creative? Yes. Did God create humanity? Yes. So when we participate in the act of creating humanity, are we putting God on display? Yes. Yes. Not that saying that what you were saying isn't true, just I was confused. <laughs> no. It's Texas, that's why. I don't understand the Texas. <laughs> anyway. Um, it was the accident. He slipped it all in there and I went, I don't know, I got nothing. So, guys, do you see how the procreative act, though, actually is a way of putting God on display? What else there do you see? Intimacy, how does that put a God on display? I don't know who said that, but... He's, okay, yeah. He desires to have an intimate relationship with us. Yeah, yeah, because God is actually... There's a, there's a unique thing there in 26 of going, let us, that God existed in relationship, and that when we are actually in relationship with others, um, wow, we actually get to put the relational, intimate aspect of God on display. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. What else do you guys see there? How does this, this idea of ruling or having dominion... God is... Lord. Yeah, when, when you understand that, yeah, that God is ruling and He is the authority over all things, when when we actually rule over creation well, we actually put God on display well. Does that kind of make sense to you guys? Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, you realize, oh wow, if we do the things that God created us to do in the beginning, we are actually putting Him on display. When we create things, whether it's art or other people. When we engage in creation, the creation of goods, the creation of ideas, the creation of institutions or businesses, uh, when we create new people, we are actually reflecting God to the world. Or at least we can. You guys are tracking? So the question then, uh, we're going to talk about this, this idea of authority and rule. We'll talk about that next week. Okay, so we'll get there still. But tonight I want to focus on this one. That when we engage in that procreative act, right, in that, that creative act, not just procreation, but in that creative act, we are indeed putting God on display to the world. But somebody said it this way, which I thought was brilliant. Why? Because God wanted more image bearers. Does that make sense to you guys? In the beginning, you guys realize, in the beginning, God wanted more. He didn't create, like, creation in the beginning wasn't static. It was dynamic. It was intended to become something more. What did he want more of? Well, he wanted at least more image bearers, and he wanted these image bearers to fill the earth with other stuff that they're creating. So, man, we should really celebrate creativity because that can and should put God on display well. We need to understand that in the beginning, God wanted more people to bear his image more people to reflect him to the world. You guys are tracking a little bit? Mm -hmm. Okay. We just need to understand that in the beginning, God wanted more people. Because why? Because they actually put him on display. Okay, now watch this. Go to this right here. Genesis chapter 3. Yes, I wrote backwards. Did that bother you? Yes. I thought it did. 
I don't know if you guys, do you guys see what I just did? No. I was writing, and then I wrote the last letter of a word, and then worked backwards and filled in two more letters. And because it wasn't sequential, that really bothered him. But my mind doesn't work sequentially necessarily. It works all over the place. So anyways, sorry. Um, Genesis 3.16. This is after the fall. This is a consequence of sin that, that God is communicating to the woman at this point. Okay, he's just talked to the serpent in verse 15, and now in verse 16, he says to the woman, what does he say? I will, multi I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, oh. right? But what? <laughs> you will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. Okay, but your desire is still going to be for your husband, he's still, you know, and yet he's going to dominate, right? And you go, okay, what in the world's going on here? Here's what I want you to do. Take, we're going to take like a minute. So we're going to go like fast forward time. Talk about how this, just this in, in verse 16. Hey, I'm going to multiply your pain greatly in childbirth. Um, yet your desire is still going to be for your husband. And yet he's still going to, he's going to dominate or, or uh, have that idea of dominion. Um, how does this affect this? Just talk about how sin affects God's intention in the beginning. Because sometimes I don't think we do a good job of connecting how sin actually affects God's intention. So like I said, like one minute, just talk to somebody real quick. I don't do that. All right, talk to me here. Guys, what is going on in the fall here? And how does that affect God's intention in the beginning? I'm going to multiply your pain greatly in childbirth, yet your desire is going to be to, you know, for your husband, and yet he's going to rule over you. How does that actually affect this? Challenges it. Okay, challenge, what do you mean? Like, well, okay, you want, you know, we're supposed to create something. Uh -huh. But then if there comes pain involved with that, conflict gives you a little second thought. Okay. So if you want to rule, you, you're going against conflict with your own husband or your own wife. Okay. No, it's good. It's good. Puts a divide between the men and women. Okay. For sure. Mm -hmm. We're, we're going to unpack that in just a second as well. What else do you guys see? Uh, I go to the word intent. Mm -hmm. And the reason I go to the word intent is I think of the word uh, living intentionally for God. Mm -hmm. And I pass forward to the New Testament and I think about the fruits of the Spirit. And that the, the intent that God has for you is to live for Him. And you're going to make mistakes and you're going to sin. But if okay. you continue to live for Him under His, uh, the way that He wants you, the way that He wants you to live, okay. you're, you're going to make mistakes. And, um, and there's definitely rules for men and women. I don't necessarily know if I agree with a man dominant woman. Uh, yeah, yeah, but don't run to the New Testament yet. Stay, okay. I, I'm, I'm intentionally wanting us to stay and just feel the tension right now. Okay. So yeah, stay right here in Genesis three. Okay. And, and yeah, hold on. We're gonna get to the New Testament though. Okay. Okay. So just just in Genesis three, because if honestly, if we start in Genesis one, then we read Genesis two, and then Genesis three, we don't know about the New Testament yet. Yeah. Right. We're we're still way back here in the beginning. For sure. Right. And so we're just gonna let this thing unfold, and it's gonna create some like, gosh, I don't know where this leads. Now, granted, we all know where that Jesus enters into the discussion at some point, but give us like five minutes and we'll get into the new text. Right, okay. We'll be good. Um, so we'll get there. Sin makes, it, sin makes um, it harder for us to live out how God designed us to. And, okay. then, and then so, essentially with like, he wants you to procreate, but now the sin has made, like the curse of that has made it harder for you to do that. Okay, no, that's great. Guys, real quick. Does, does sin change God's intention? No. 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 Does it make it more difficult? Yes. Yes. And I want you to see that. Sin does not change God's intention. 
God still wants image bearers. God still wants us to, God wants more people. God wants more image bearers. God wants people for himself. Does that make sense to you guys? Sin makes that more difficult. Why? Um, rumor has it that childbirth is painful. <laughs> that, that might give pause that might give pause to people wanting to do and fulfill God's created intent, right? Oh, wow, that, that makes it harder. It doesn't change it, but it makes it more difficult. What else makes it more difficult? Guys, this word desire, um, where it says, uh, I will multiply your pain, I'll greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, but your desire shall be for your husband. Um, there's a there's a lot going on with that word. So it's a greater discussion. There's all kinds of things we could talk about. Uh, it's, there's some, some debate about it, and, and the debate really centers around, is that word a positional desire? Like you're, you're wanting uh, like this kind of you know, desire where it's like you're wanting this role and he's wanting this role, and, and that there's just a misappropriation of, of, of roles within the, the man and woman. Or some people would say, no, it's a sexual desire. Even though you're going to have great pain, you're still going to desire your husband sexually. But then, even if you go, it's a sexual desire, the very next line is, but your husband will dominate over you. And it's that misappropriation of, of, of authority, and it's like this idea of dominion, and it's, it's just kind of weird. It's a misappropriation. Either way, whether people think it's a sexual desire or whether they think it's, a, it's, a, it's an undermining type of a desire, uh, for the woman, this idea that the, there's broadly recognized this this dominion exercised by the, the the man there, and either way, as what the result is, is you end up with relational difficulty. Mm -hmm. I think that's the big picture. Going, we can we can talk about the minutia if you want, but at the end, the last part of Genesis three sixteen, what it really seems to be indicating is that there will be relational difficulty between the man and the woman. Uh, and, and, and whether that's one-sided or whether it's two-sided, I think is the only issue. But there will be relational difficulty. So here's the question. We certainly know that relational difficulty, that last part of 316 is going to talk, we'll talk about that next week in a misappropriation of, of, of you know, the God's authority. But what about this idea of how does relational difficulty affect this? This idea of creating more people and more image bearers. It's more and more difficulty. Yeah, how is it more? How is it difficult to procreate if there's relational difficulty? You don't want to. Yes, <laughs> this is not rocket science at this point, right? <laughs> Where you just go, okay, yeah. If there's relational difficulty, procreation is a little tougher. Um, or you're doing it for the wrong. Sure. Thinking that like children will heal something. Sure. No, absolutely. When that's not right. the solution. Absolutely. You misconstrue mm -hmm. what that creation is for. Right. No, absolutely. That it's for yourself. Yep. No, perfect. That's good. Are you guys tracking though? Doesn't change God's intention, but it's like, hey, this just it just makes it harder. Right? Okay. Really quick then. It, and we, we we kind of alluded to this last week, and we said, okay, you get to Genesis. Um, 11. This is right after the flood. And we remember the Tower of Babel discussion? Kind of, sort of? What was going on at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11? 
The flood is kind of God's cosmic reset button. Hey, let's start over. He reinstitutes almost this exact same command. Hey, I want you to fill the earth. Okay? But in Genesis 11, they start building this tower. Why? What was their motivation? What were they trying to do? They were trying to reach God, but... And be like God. They were trying to make a name for themselves. Yeah, so that yes, they were trying to reach God. Why? Because they wanted to make a name for themselves. And I would say fundamentally, guys, that's been the tension ever since. It's like, okay, are we going to strive to make God known and put God on display, or are we going to strive to make a name for ourselves? Genesis 11 onward, here we go. So now we're in this. The intention of God never changes. Sin makes it more difficult. You guys tracking? One of the byproducts of sin is now all of a sudden we're no longer about putting God on display, but we're about making a name for ourselves. Real quick. Genesis 12. What's going on there? You guys know? Uh, not quite. Not yet. Take a look. Genesis 12. You don't have to read the whole thing. Just look at the even the headings here. Abraham? Yeah. Abraham. And what has God promised Abraham? Do you guys remember? Kids. He could, yeah, he promises kids. So he promises offspring. A bunch of them. What else? Yeah, he promises a nation. What else? You will be a blessing. A good name. Yeah, you're going to be blessed to be a blessing. You're going to have a great name. Right? All, all these things, right? That God promises to Abraham. Land. Promises the land to them. You know, to, and he promises that, hey, you're going to be my people. Right? You're going to be a great nation. Um, Offspring is as numerous as the, the stars. You go, okay. You guys remember that? <laughs> really quick. And I don't know if you guys remember the story or not. Did, um, was there any kind of condition to this promise that God made to Abraham? Did, I mean, that, was, did Abraham have to participate at all? Or was it God doing it? He had to leave his baby. He obey. Yeah, I mean, he stepped out. But once he stepped out, I mean... God basically said, hey, I see your faith, and hey, look, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, you're going to be blessed to be a blessing, you're going to get land, you're going to do all this, and okay, here we go. I mean, it's this is going to be the way it is. You guys are tracking? Okay, really quickly. What do we call that, by the way? If, if this is like a $2 word, if you guys ever care. Uh, this is the Abrahamic covenant. This is the covenant or the promise that God makes to Abraham. Please watch this. Does the covenant promise things going forward? Yes. Yes. Please understand something. How does this promise that God makes to Abraham go this way? It fulfills those. Yeah, God wants original intent. Yeah, God wants this. Guys, don't ever forget that the covenants do indeed point forward, but the covenants also point backwards to God's intention in the beginning. God wanted for himself a people. Sin made that more difficult. When God enters in and makes the promise to Abraham, he says, hey, I know that sin made it hard. It's okay. We'll get there. I, wanted, I created humanity for a purpose, and that purpose is to put me on display. I wanted to have a people for myself who would reflect me to the world. Sin made that more difficult. And Abraham, hey, We'll get there. We'll get it done. And, and, and I don't think we often tie the promises that God makes here in these covenants that we tie them back to God's intention in the beginning. 
kind of make sense to you guys? So, go ahead. Another another part of the fall, it, maybe we just haven't gotten there yet, is the the toil. Yeah, we're going to jump into that next week a lot. Okay. Because I would say that toil and dominion are intimately linked. Mm -hmm. Right now, remember, we're talking about this idea of identity. Yeah. And, I, and I know it doesn't seem like we are, but ultimately we are. Um, and so all of a sudden, where, where does our identity lie? Well, we have to understand God's intention here. God wants for himself a people, and God starts to actually draw unto himself a people. You guys are tracking so far? Mm -hmm. Kind of, sort of? Yeah. Okay. Really quickly then, go to um, Exodus. It's the next book over. Um, go to Exodus 19. Okay. Exodus 19, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This is God speaking to Moses. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the people, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came, called all the elders, and told them all that the Lord had commanded, and the people said, all that you say, we'll, we'll do that. Okay, what's going on here? What does God promise to Moses? What does he say to them? Or to Moses? What's that? The promised land? Okay. You mean here? Yeah, here. Oh. What does he say in, in verse uh, 4 and 5? Listen to me. Listen to me. Keep yeah. the covenant. Keep the covenant. If you, if, if you obey, you'll be, you'll be my people. Okay? So, all of a sudden, we get this... Um, well, one, it's an if, and then it's, uh, you're going to be people. What else? Okay, what else? If you obey, you're going to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. You guys tracking? You guys see what I'm saying? Okay, does God make promises to Abraham or to Moses here? Absolutely. If, if you obey, you're going to be my people. If you do this, you'll be a holy nation. If you do this, you're going to be a kingdom of priests. You know what, guys, do you see the tension that that would create with these people? Mm -hmm. These are the people of Abraham. Man, back here you said that we were going to be your people. Now all of a sudden you say, if we obey, you're going to, we're going to be your people. Uh, that creates an internal conflict and tension. And all of a sudden you go, man, how do we do this? Now, jump all the way, all the way to the New Testament. Because, guys, here we get promises. All we're doing is pro God's promising us what his intention was in the beginning. God wanted for himself a people. Sin makes that more difficult. God says, hey, we're going to get there. Here he says, we're going to get there regardless. Here he says, if you obey, you're going to be my people. Really quickly, get to all the way in the New Testament, guys. Go to first, uh, eh, we'll figure it out. Where do you think we should go? First Peter. How about first Peter? That's a good place to go. Go first Peter chapter two.
as in 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll start in verse 4. As you come to him, who's the him they're talking about here? Christ, yeah. Guys, I would, I would suggest to you guys that really verses, yeah, verse 4 and following are talking about Jesus and the work of Jesus. Verses 4 to 8 are talking about the, the person and the work of Jesus. But you go, okay, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone that was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, he's chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who don't believe, the stone that the builders rejected has been, become a cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word. Okay, now watch this. Guys, really verses 4 through 8 here are talking about the person and the work of Jesus. Some people are going to reject that, and some people are going to accept that. For the people who reject it, it's a stumbling block. The work of Jesus is a stumbling block. For the people who accept the work of Jesus, what does it say about them? Hey, he's a living stone, and he's building us into this new temple. Okay, But it's all based on the person and the work of Jesus. That's what I want us to see right now. You guys see that really there in verse 4 through 8? Because it, this is foundational to what he says in verse 9. And verse 9 is really where I want to be. Okay? Because of the person and the work of Jesus, look what he says in verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Guys, because of the work of Jesus, please understand something. Is, does that sound vaguely familiar, by the way? You're going to be a chosen race, a royal priest, and a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You were once not a people, but now you are God's people. Does that sound vaguely familiar? What does that sound like? It sounds like this. I'm going, this thing that would have created tension in the lives of the nation of Israel and the people of God. Going, wow, how can we have this promise that's really unconditional, but then here it's conditional? Where God says we're going to be his people, but here he says, if you obey, you're going to be my people. Is that this would have been on the minds of the readers that Peter was writing to. And so when he says, hey, because of the work of Jesus, guys, you're going to be a holy nation. You're going to be God's people. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to be a holy nation. You are blessed so that you in turn can bless others. But it's all because of the person and work of Jesus. Does that make sense to you guys? Kind of, sort of? Yeah. Guys, please understand something. Because of the person and work of Jesus, what God wanted in the beginning, that sin made difficult, that God promises, hey, we're going to get there, it's made possible through the person and the work of Jesus. Right? 
So, right now, at this part of the story, where do we see the people of God? What, are we, where do we call, what do we call that? If way back here with Abraham, we said, hey, this is the nation of Israel, at this part of the story, where you and I live, do we still, you know... Um, Am I in this, I mean, in 1 Peter, who is he writing to? He's writing to Christians, right? He's writing to the church. So you go, guys, all of a sudden you go, people who are in Christ, okay? People who are following Christ, people who are part of the church, our identity, our primary identity is in Christ. And that gets expressed and realized where? In the church. So we get our identity first and foremost, is in Christ, and that gets expressed and played out in the church. Does that make sense to you guys? Mm -hmm. Okay, now here's where I want to land this for a second, and then we're going to get all the way to the ending. Um, guys, you can only ever have... Are you guys, uh, you guys don't need this anyways. Here. You guys can only ever have one comprehensive story. And, and when it comes to our identity, in Christ through the church, really quickly, what are some of the things that compete for our identity? Peer pressure. Culture. Peer pressure is something. Culture, more specifically, though. Where's, where's something that we might place our identity, where we might place our identity or find our identity? We interpret life and life. We can only have one primary identity, and that is the, the, the way we interpret all of life. And so if we are interpreting life through something other than the biblical story, the biblical story will be subordinate to that. It will be in a secondary role. And so whether it's family or my job or, you know, whatever, all of a sudden I go... I'm going to interpret the Bible in light of however, whatever my, wherever I find my identity. If the biblical story is my primary identity, then it will shape and inform everything else in my life. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, yeah. I'm going to say some of the same stuff, just maybe say it a little differently. Probably better. So, I don't know if it'll be better or worse, different. And at the end, you guys get choosy you like better. So, that'll be the way it's worth. Um, you guys have heard the word vocation, right? Anyone know where it comes from? Vocalists? Nope. Vacation. Exactly what I'm doing. The opposite of vacation. Nice. It comes from a Latin word. And Latin, is that helping anyone? Are we getting any closer? So there's a Latin word meaning call. So vocation originally meant calling, right? That someone was called. So exactly. Vocal, exactly. I'm like, you were pretty close, but yep. So it means calling. And as we're talking here in terms of our identity, another way that you can think of this is as our calling, that what is our main vocation from all we got up here? To be image bearers. To be image bearers, right? And we can say that a whole bunch of different ways. It's to be the kingdom of priests. To, and what do priests do? They make God known. They make God known to people and? Serve them. It's kind of a two-way street. They serve um, they represent the people. Yeah, they represent the people to God, and then they represent God to the people. So they kind of function as an intermediary. 
which we saw within Israel, you see kind of like the, the group of priests that do it. But it says that Israel and then the church also are called to all be that way. Mm -hmm. So that our vocation, we can think of it this way, is our vocation is to represent God to the world and to represent the world before God, you know, to make intercession and all that kind of to stand in between. So as we think about vocation, Spencer was here talking about like our, our main identity. I also think of it as like our main vocation. And that our main vocation is, in any way that you want to say this, right, it's to be image. I can't draw from the side. Switch. My handwriting looks worse than yours from over here. Is it is? No, not normally. It's to be image. That was supposed to be a square, too. I'm an engineer. It's like driving me crazy. It's really bad. That's not a square. Oh, it's an extra point in the square. Yeah. Hold on. I just, I can't handle it. You need to switch seats with <laughs> Thank you. He does that kind of stuff to me on purpose, just to bother me. So this is our main thing, but then we have all kinds of like, we think of, what do we normally think of if I said, what's your vocation? Your job. Your, your job. Right? Yeah, so you've got your job down here. Cameron, tell me all the things you do. <laughs> all the things? Not just jobs, but what else? Um, I like to go surfing. Okay, so you're a surfer. You're a father. Your father. Whoops, the other way around. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 surfer, surfer, father. You're exposed right now. Are you blushing? Because you are. What else? A music therapist. That's my job. Sorry, musician. Trims his beard. Yeah, husband. Beard trimmer. I was going to that last. Like the best one. Those last. You're saving that. <laughs> what else? <laughs> what else? Was musician. Did you put that on there? No. Musician. Yeah. Musician. Wait for us. I can just draw boxes. Look, I can just go like this, and I'll pretend that's what you said. Yeah. 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 That's all. That's all. What else? Um, used to be a runner. <laughs> you're, you're a patient. <laughs> patient. Not always very patient. Insurance specialist. Insurance specialist. Times. Son, son, neighbor, some friend, okay, right, and and we've got all these things. Like the the reality is, in life, we've got all these vocations in a sense, right? These are all things that we're called. Husband, I got it. It's like five minutes. Allie, 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 top one. Allie, exactly. Well, no, that's that's the problem sometimes, right? Is exactly that. Is that sometimes it does become the top one. So. These often are what we think of, of as our vocations, but usually it's just this one, right? Whatever our job is, kind of where we make money is what we think of as our vocation. I like to think of these as these are all just places. These are like contexts where we get to live out this one vocation. Mm -hmm. I think that's the way that it begins to transform. That when you see like, okay, this is my identity. This is what I'm called to do in all of life. Mm -hmm. And so these are just all the places I'm supposed to do that. And what's nice is then it begins to reshape the way that you think about each one. Because the more you understand what this means, um, and like Spencer said, putting God on display. Um, so I, one of the exercises I like to do is I say, you know, write all these down, write all the different things that you do, and you can make as long a list as you want. But then start thinking about the character attributes of God. Because when we talk about putting God on display, that's part of what we're saying, right? Is that we, God's merciful. So I start asking like, okay, how can I display mercy here? How can I display mercy here? And it starts to, you know, it's a way of kind of reshaping each of the, the places that you're functioning. 
So that's kind of one. It's like I, I think of it from two different angles. One, I think about the character attributes of God and how can I, how can I display that in all of these. And then the other one is to think of all the things that God does. So we've got one main one up here, right? What does God do and that we do after him? Create. He creates. Um, all of this is tied up and he does what? Redeems, right? And then the one that we haven't talked about, but that through all of this, God sustains things, right? He kind of keeps it going. Mm -hmm. And that what we get to do as part of being image, image bearers is to do God's work after him. And so you start thinking of each one of these things as places that you can do each of these things, and that all three of them are beautiful parts of putting God on display. Mm -hmm. And why that's so transformative for me is to begin to realize that, okay, you don't have to, something doesn't have to be redemptive for it to be something that is image bearing, right? I think there's this mentality sometimes that people get of like, well, if it's not redemptive, then it wasn't good. It can't just be creative. It has to also somehow be redemptive or even sustaining. And there's jobs, there's things that we do that are just kind of part of God sustaining and caring for creation and those around us and those sort of things. And that, that can be a part of putting God on display as well. Um, so is that making sense? Everybody kind of how it works out? And it, that's how we start to live out this identity of being priests, because we we display God to the world in each one of these places, and it, it's a way of reshaping the way that we think about kind of our roles, um, our identities, I, I call these a bunch of different things. Um, all the various contexts that we have, it reshapes kind of how we, we do all of them. Now, where sin breaks this down, Spencer's already started to talk about, is when these ones take over up here. Now. Which one of these is most common to take the dominant spot? Jobs. For men or women? Jobs. For men. For men. Jobs. Okay. You said for women. I, someone might beat you up for saying this here. Go ahead. I mean, I'll make For women, surfing. I'll make generalities. <laughs> for women, it's surfing. I think you do it. For women, more often. Family. Relationship. Family. Yeah, for women, for women, it's being the husband and father. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you guys know what I mean, exactly. Now, it's, it's, it's different for each one of us, because sometimes it's, it is the surfing. Mm -hmm. Now, can you see someone's life when that happens? Yeah. <laughs> it's fairly easy to see, right? Mm -hmm. Because what we see as our primary vocation shapes all the things that we do. And so when, and when one of these takes this place, where does this go? In one of those other small boxes. Yep, it comes down to be a small box, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's how a lot of people end up living is saying, like, for example, my job, that's what I'm primarily about. And yeah, I kind of do this God thing a little bit, but it's more just like a small part of my life. I, I do it maybe a little bit on Wednesday nights or whatever, but most of the time it's really it's my job, and that's kind of what I'm all about, and that's that shapes your identity, right? And that, that's what people know you for, as opposed to knowing you for this, and that, oh yeah, that's what they are. They're a follower of Jesus, and you can see it in, I work with them, you can really see it there. You can see it in their friendships, you can see it in the way they raise their kids, or, right? It, it switches it. Mm -hmm. And for me, like the, the classic example of how you know when that happens is when people, well, what do you guys think? When you really, when identifies when this has become, I would say this is idolatry, is that when you put this up here, it becomes, an, I'm just using different terms because it's all similar stuff. How do you identify when a job's become number one? For 
for me, anything that replaces that produces anxiety and fear. Okay. So you see anxiety and fear in their life? What when else? I see my role primarily as a wife, and it's like if I lose him, we're talking about anything, jobs now. Um, <laughs> well, I think, like you said, they just, it's all they do. I mean, they're missing everything. They don't have relationships. Yeah. They don't really know their spouse anymore. It's just work, work, work. Yeah. I see that as a teacher. Uh, I see it in my, in my principals um, and assistant principals. Uh, they're at school from 7 to 7. Yeah. And then uh, I said, ask them, do you ever see spouses? They go, the weekends. So if you think of this as idolatry, one way I like to talk about that is every idol requires sacrifices. And you see it, right? You'll sacrifice something that's down here for the sake of what's up here. And Jesus says that to us about a lot of these things, right? Right? Who's your mother and your brother and your father? Right? And he talks about family being reoriented around this. That in a sense he says the same thing, but it ought to be around who he is instead. Okay, how how else do you see? So they do too much of it. I, I see it's unfulfilling. It's unfulfilling. No I think even certain life circumstances, when you lose a job, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, how does it depressed? Right. I, I, still, I would you? still echo the fear thing. If I'm fearful of my job, I mean, it's that issue of yep. articulating role of spot or as a wife, but saying, I know I just wanted to be dismissive of her. <laughs> You're the dismissive type. Well, she doesn't serve. She's a woman. <laughs> He's being good. Cop. I'm good. We decided on the way, flipped a coin on the way here, and that's just <laughs> No, but things you're afraid of, though. Yeah. I still think that, yeah. I think, I still, I feel like job is really important. Everything else, like, all of the other roles suffer. But, like, but like we're, as an image, image bearers, we're called to do all those things. So those, it usually gives life to those things. But then, when one of them is, that just takes, sucks up everything, you're not able to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this vocation actually mm-hmm. gives life to. Mm-hmm. Talk about that one. Yeah, it gives life to all these. Where when you put another one there, it sucks all yeah. these other ones around. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's good. Did you guys know that Joy lived with us? Yeah. Like, she brags about it all the time. Best two years of my life. Who hasn't she lived with? For the job one, I've I've watched guys retire well and retire horribly. Mm-hmm. And that's it exposes the identity. Yeah. Like there's one guy in our church and he for forty something years, right, Rick for and he was a significant guy in the in the industry and like went to all the big parties, knew everybody, got to retirement and we're like, oh, how are you feeling? So he goes, You know, I'm just ready to let go. And God's got other things for me to do. Mm. And it was as if he just kind of saw it. I mean, he wouldn't have used these terms, but it was like, yeah, so what? That one's gone. I got all these ones, and I've got a couple other boxes to add there. Mm, And just, it was this smooth, and I was like, man, that's amazing. (laughs) Just watching kind of the way that that happened. Um, Spencer's mother-in-law illustrates, but there's other ways that when we take the, to me, the family one and the job one are the ones that are most likely, right? Mm -hmm. And when the family one gets up here, the equivalent of retirement is the empty nest syndrome. It's when all these things, are any of these things bad things? Right, that's what is so dangerous about it. Hi. Is it embarrassing walking in? We're all the embarrassing. You can just walk across in front here. Everybody look. Yep. 
No, I can have to Thank you, though. I'm sorry, I don't like embarrassing people. I think you do. I do. Actually, my joy. It's my favorite. Sometimes that's your primary role. Yes, exactly. I would say the hobby one is a big one too for a lot for a lot of people that I know, and then it just becomes the only thing you talk about. That's another great way to know what's up here is what you talk about. Yeah. So this help for you guys? Yes. This this whole thing like. As I've started to understand this, it just kind of has reshaped for me how I think about a lot of things, and I think about my roles and the different things that I do, and I have to tell for you guys. You gonna finish this up? Yeah. You got negative one minute. I got negative one minute. Guys, I would say keep building this out down here. What are the things that buy for our identities? Because they're not necessarily bad things. Like all of a sudden you think through uh, causes you're passionate about. Well, that, those can creep in and become a political affiliation. Um, and I know I, I'm not making jest here, but geographically where we live can become our identity because if I'm in the right neighborhood, all of a sudden that reorientates how I actually think and process and interpret life. And I could let my neighborhood become primary. Yeah. And that that actually starts to shape and interpret how I actually interpret scripture. You're going to make them jealous because we live in the scene. We all let Yes, we're going to close up this way. What Josh is talking about, what we're trying to talk through in our primary identity being as image bearers of God, that's being realized in and through the church right now, and that's this primary role, all these other things become secondary. I would say it this way. When we start living in light of our cultural story, and like I said, I don't know the neighborhood you guys live in, but there are things that are going to be true in North Hollywood that probably buy for this primary identity um, that are unique to this neighborhood. Um, my wife grew up in Santa Clarita. That's where her family still is. Um, there are things that are unique to Santa Clarita that are very unique, uh, and I, again, not to be condescending, but there are things that are unique to Texas that are going to be unique here that are, are, that are going to resonate here. And maybe that's political affiliation, that kind of the you know that kind of America, make America great again type stuff. And you go, hey, when we drop into this, no, no, guys, and I'm not trying to be divisive here, but watch when we allow our culture to become our primary identity. Guys, we fundamentally sacrifice what God's called us to, and we start interpreting this in light of our cultural story, and we have to fight against that. All of us, every one of us, you and me, we are prone to self-deception. I start believing the cultural story I'm a part of regularly. I need all y'all to actually look at me and go, hey, you're kind of going off the rails here, and you're starting to really find your identity in your cultural story, not the biblical story. The Bible says your primary identity is in Christ, through the church, putting God on display, and we see what you're doing. You're starting to reflect your culture more than this. We need to be in the lives of each other pointing that out, because the reality is 
I am self-deceived, and so are you. And we don't like that because we like to be self-sufficient. But the reality of it, guys, all of us need to be speaking truth into each other's lives, which is why nights like tonight matter. You guys have to be involved in each other's lives this way. Now, I want to finish off by just reading something to you guys. It's reading Revelation uh, 21, verse 1. I don't want you to read it. I want you to close your eyes and just imagine this and just listen to the picture that is painted by John as he is seeing this. But close your eyes and just imagine for a moment and listen to what's being said. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things of life has passed away. As the dwelling place of God is with man, he will dwell with them. We will be his people. And what God wanted in the beginning, guys, he gets in the end. Let's make sure that that is our primary identity as we're just kind of living our life here. Jesus, thanks for tonight. Thanks for being a God who loves us immensely. God, I pray that we would hear the things that Josh shared and not, not get lost in seeing it in other people, but actually be reflective and contemplative and see how we allow things and culture around us to creep in and become primary in our life. God, and whether that's political affiliation or family or job or career or desiring fame or desiring to make a name for ourselves, God, that we would see uh, whether it's yeah, our marital status, God, that we would see that our primary identity is first and foremost in you and that gets expressed through the church and God, and we live out the reality of what you've called us to and we live in light of the biblical story God, you tell us how to be good husbands and wives. You tell us how to be good employees. You tell us, you tell us how to be and engage in the creative arts. You tell us how to and inform us of how to engage in society. You tell us how to engage with the government. You, you inform us how to do all these things. God, and so we, may we live in light of your story, and may we repent of our idolatrous cultural stories. And God, may you give us eyes to see those things clearly, for they are idolatrous, and they will kill us. May you give us the courage to speak truth into the lives of our friends here as we see those idolatrous cultural stories creeping in. May you give us the courage to speak truth and the grace to hear truth from others. God, thanks. Thanks for this folks, these folks. Thanks for their time giving up on a Wednesday evening to come together. And I pray that this would be a time of encouragement for them. In your name, amen. Yeah.